Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. It is Wednesday, March 23rd. It is 10.30 a.m., and that means it is time for Bible study. And today we are looking at Revelation chapter 5. So last week we looked at Revelation chapter 4. We did the whole chapter in one episode, and that's what we're going to do today. Revelation chapter 5 has some good stuff in it. Uh, thank you for making this part of your day. Hope wherever you may be, you're taking care of yourself and uh, having a wonderful day. It is a beautiful sunny day here in North Texas. And uh, let's jump right in to Revelation chapter 5. So verses 1 through 3. Then I saw on the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. So if you remember Revelation chapter 4, the focus of Revelation chapter 4 was the throne. It was the first thing that John saw when he entered in through the door into heaven. And now he is looking at a scroll. The focus here is on the scroll. And it is a scroll that has writing on both sides of it, which is very uncommon at the time. So a scroll uh, would typically have writing on one side uh, and then it would be rolled together so that the writing would be kind of hidden underneath the roll. Uh, and so it's got a lot on it. Basically, that's what we know. There's a lot written on the scroll. Um, and when it was when they finished the scroll, they fastened it with strings and the strings were sealed with wax. So they would put wax at the knots of the strings. And so this scroll had seven strings on it and each one was sealed with wax. Why seven? Well, as we know from studying Revelation so far, seven is the number of God. And so you have seven strings, seven, uh, seven wax uh, seals on those seven strings. So what does the scroll say? What is written on the scroll? So for years and years, people have tried to figure this out. What is written on the scroll of Revelation chapter 5? And there's lots and lots of theories, like it's the Bible, or it's the book of Revelation, or it's other things. But two theories that I find interesting, two theories that I find interesting. First, some scholars think that uh, the the scroll is the title deed to planet Earth, to the world. It is the deed to the world. Uh, and so there's connection here, actually, with Jeremiah 32, uh, which describes Jewish title deeds as sealed. So is it the, the, the deed to planet Earth? Which makes one ask the question, who does the Earth belong to? Whose is the Earth? We believe that the Earth belongs to God. The earth and all creation belong to God. But other places in scripture, it alludes to the fact that governments, those uh, people in authority, the princes of the powers, uh, princes and principalities may be under the rule of Satan. So uh, there are, uh, the, the earth is God's, but there are people who follow Satan and there are people of great power and influence who belong to Satan. Uh, so some think the scroll is the deed to planet Earth. I don't really think so, but uh, it's one option. The other option is uh, William Barclay says, uh, look at the scroll as God's will, his final settlement of the affairs of the universe. So it's God's will. It's God's living trust or however you want to say it. Uh, where does this come from? Well, this is based on the idea that uh, under Roman law, w wills were sealed 
with seven seals, uh, seven strings, seven seals, each from a witness uh, to, to, for the validity of the will. So when somebody died, there was a will. It had seven strings on it, seven seals, and it was to represent seven people who witnessed that this will is, uh, uh, was actually valid. Why is that important? Why is that one good? Why does that one make sense? Why does that one work? That one works because throughout the New Testament, Jesus and other places talks about that we are heirs to God's kingdom. So that the eternity, the gift of salvation, heaven itself is not a reward, but it is an, an inheritance. And the big difference here is if it's a reward, it's a reward for something you do. An inheritance is something you get because of the family that you belong to. And so if we, as the people of God, the baptized children of God, say that we are a child of God, I belong to God's family, then heaven is an inheritance. It's something given to us because of the family that we belong to instead of looking at heaven as a reward for all the good things that we've done in life. We're going to go to heaven because we're good people. Uh, no, we're going to go to heaven because we are part of God's family and God has promised us that we're going to go to heaven by the gift of grace, you know, by grace through faith. We are going to go to heaven because of what God has done for us uh, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's an inheritance. And so this being a will makes a lot of sense. The reality is we don't know what the scroll says and we don't need to know because we aren't worthy to know what the scroll says. That's what the text says. No one in heaven and earth is worthy to look. Um, so whatever the scroll says, no one except Jesus is worthy to read it. No one except Jesus. Uh, and it's, it's as if this angel looked all throughout the entire universe and found no one worthy to read it except for Jesus. And so John hears this in verse four says, John weeps. John weeps because there was no one worthy. We continue verses five through seven. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So don't weep because this is something for Jesus to do. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll. I love these two, these two references, these messianic titles, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, it's just from Genesis, Isaiah and Hosea, the lion. I love that. I love that image. I love that reference for the Messiah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. It reminds me of, you know, C.S. Lewis with uh, Aslan, you know, the lion, the, 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 the lion, the strength of the lion and the, you know, the, the heroic spirit of the lion and the power. And the lion is the king. The lion is the king of the jungle. Right. Uh, and so uh, and then the root of David comes from Isaiah 11. Uh, the root of David's not as cool as lion. Right. Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so verse six, then. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders a lamb, a lamb, standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. So there's verses six and seven, right? You can imagine the lion of the tribe of Judah and John's like, oh, cool. Where's the lion? And you look and it's a lamb. Like, well, I was expecting a lion. It, it, it's, a, it's a strange looking lamb. If you think about it, it's a lamb who there's evidence there to say that it had been slaughtered. So what does that mean? What does that mean that the lamb had been slaughtered? What does that look like? And oh, by the way, it has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits 
of God. So the horns represent the power of God, right? Throughout all the Old Testament, horns represent the power of God. The eyes represent the all-knowingness, the omniscience of God. Uh, there's, there, there's, there's verses in, in Zechariah 3 and 4 that talk about the eyes and how that represents the all-knowingness of God. And so the representative of the kingdom of heaven isn't a lion, it's a lamb, representing humility and gentleness and sacrificial love. And we think about what is our image of strength in this world? What is our image of strength? If we had to pick an animal to describe strength, we would pick something like a lion, right? We would pick a lion or a bear or, you know, something powerful, something that that we're afraid of. If you run into a lamb, you're not going to be afraid of it. But yet, but yet the lamb is the image of God, right? Uh, And and we're reminded of John's gospel, right? When John first sees Jesus, when John the Baptist first sees Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so throughout all of John's gospel, Jesus is understood as the Lamb. And so we see strength and power in the Lamb, right? In the Lamb's sacrificial love, in the Lamb's humility, in the Lamb's gentleness, because that's what God's power is like. God's power is, is wielded through love, right? It's not wielded through our understanding of power. Uh, very, very interesting and wonderful image. Okay, let's jump ahead to verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Okay, a lot going on here. Verses 8 through 10. He took the scroll, and, and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the Lamb, each of them holding a harp. Each of them holding a harp. This is, this is where we, we get that imagery uh, of people in heaven having harps, that we're all going to show up in heaven and learn and to know how to play the harp, and we're all going to play the harp. That's where this comes from. And they're holding bowls, golden bowls, full of incense. Um, and these are the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints. So, we know that God takes delight in, in our worship. And, and we know that now that God takes delight, God takes delight in the smell of incense. Incense was a part of, uh, of, of worship in the temple. And so uh, the prayers of the faithful are, are golden bowls full of incense. They bring delight to God. So when we pray, we bring delight to God. When we're when we ask our uh, a friend or a neighbor for help, we, we see that as we are putting a burden on them, right? When when we ask somebody for help, when we ask somebody to do something for us, we're putting a burden on them because we need them to help us. But what God is saying here is that when you ask God for help through prayer, God takes delight in that, right? God ta- is it the most the fanciest most expensive bowl you could ever imagine having incense in it going up. Uh, the, there's strong connection here between prayer and incense uh, that is goes to Psalm 141. Let my prayer rise up as incense before you. Uh, and, and, and that is what we sing 
every Wednesday night in the Holden Evening Prayer uh, during Lent. Let my prayer rise up as incense before you, uh, the lifting up of my hands as an offering to you. And so when we pray, when we pray, we, we, give, we delight God. And so God is grateful and excited and delighted by our prayers. And so when we pray, uh, it is an act of worship. And, uh, uh, and so it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful thing. And then the elders sing a new song praising God's work of redemption. Redemption. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed God's saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. Remember chapter 4, they, they worshipped God's creative skills, God's creative work, and now they are praising God's uh, redeeming work for every tribe and nation not just for the Jewish people, right? But seeing that, that salvation, the work of redemption that Jesus has done is for every tribe and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on earth. They are priests because they no longer need a mediator between them and God. The priest was the mediator between God and the people. The, the, the priest would speak to God on behalf of the people and speak to the people on behalf of God. That is no longer needed because of Jesus. Jesus is our high priest, and so they are not, we are now each, the, the, we are the priesthood of all believers because we need no mediator, and it says they reign on earth. What does it mean to reign on earth? You as a person of faith, do you feel like you are reigning on earth right now? When we think of reigning, we think of it through the through their, our human lens to think of the comfort and, and wonderful cup whatever, uh, extravagance of, of kings and queens, right? When they reign, it is people serving them. But as we reign in the kingdom of God and as we wield God's power, right, that power is love, right? We go back to the lamb. That power is love. It is gentleness. It is sacrificial love. And so as we, the people of God, reign in God's kingdom on earth, we do so by loving and serving, by, by, by showing God's power through love and service for others in gentleness and humility. Um, so that's what it means to reign in God's kingdom. It is an upside down kingdom and is not the way of the world, right? The way of the world says if you're going to reign, you're going to have comfort and servants and extravagance and people will take care of you. In God's kingdom, reigning means that you uh, serve others, right? And you love others and you are gentle, kind, and humble. Uh, so, uh, all right, verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Other places say ten thousands of ten thousands singing with full voice. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So countless angels join in the worship of the elders. Countless, so many that you just said there's thousands of thousands, right? You can't even imagine to come up with a number. Innumerable, praising God because of the redemption that God has accomplished through Jesus the Christ. But in their song, the angels do not praise God for the re their own redemption, right? Because angels do not need to be redeemed. Angels are not sinful. Angels are not fallen, right? But they do praise God for the work of God's redeeming work uh, in Jesus for, for human beings. And so we are reminded once again that we can and should praise God for the way God works in the lives of other people. We can, we can worship and praise God and be grateful to God for God doing something great for someone else. 
Uh, I think that's a wonderful example of what that looks like there. All right, uh, finishing up the chapter, verses 13 and 14. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing, before we get to everybody. The, I mean, John could not be more complete in describing everybody, every creature, every human being, every fish, every bird, every animal, every everything, even the cats singing, right? So this is obviously something in the future, right? Because we know that the fish aren't worshiping God right now. Well, we don't know that, but we assume that. I've never been to fish, a fish worship service, but anyway, maybe they do. To the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So important here, all creation is praising. This is obviously a view into the future. All creation, everything is praising. Um, they're, they're worshiping the one seated on the throne and the lamb. The one seated on the throne and the lamb. Remember, remember what we said at the very beginning. The book of Revelation is not a book with, with mystery and codes to try and help you figure out the future. It is, after all, a book about Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus is being worshiped uh, alongside of the one who sits upon the throne. So this, what, is the, what this is saying is that when we say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord in the same way that we are talking about God who sits on the throne, the creator, right? And so the Father, however you want to say it, that Jesus is equal to and worshiped alongside of. This is a testimony about the deity of Jesus, this is a book, Revelation is a book about Jesus, about who Jesus is and where Jesus sits in the rank of heaven, the heavenly order, and how Jesus is equal to the one who sits upon the throne and worthy of worship in the same way as the one who sits upon the throne. A powerful statement about Jesus and how they have glory and might forever and ever and ever and ever, talking about the eternal nature of God, which is an important thing for us to hear, knowing that kings and queens and Caesars and emperors and presidents and whoever it is in this world will come and they will go, but God will always be God and God will always be worthy of our praise forever and ever. And so we, as the people of God, put our faith and trust in God. So, there is Revelation chapter 5. Thanks again for joining me. We close with a prayer. Good and gracious God, we thank you for the redemption that you have given us, for the ways in which you have uh, sacrificed uh, your life and rose again to show us your love and to show us your power. May we proclaim that, uh, that you are present. May we proclaim that you are love uh, and, and get, make our hearts gentle. Uh, and make us all humble so that we can uh, put you first in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. Take good care of yourselves, and we will see you next week.